A number of years ago, I was visiting our national office, which at that time was located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And the host for the particular day had a husband who was in the Air Force. And of course, the Air Force Academy is there in Colorado Springs. And so she said, if any of you would like, we'll give you a tour of the Air Force Academy today. And we had some free time that afternoon. And so I said, yeah, I'd be really fascinated by that and had the opportunity to get a, a wonderful tour of the, uh, the grounds at the Air Force Academy. But while we were touring the gymnasium, which was a vast arena, more than a gymnasium, uh, we looked down and there were figure skaters on the ice that were going through their performance. And she said, those are Olympic figure skaters. Uh, one of them is the world champion, United States champion, and if you'd like to meet her, you can. And I'm a sucker for stuff like that, and so, yeah, I said, fine. So we walked down and waited for her to finish her performance, and her name was Jill Trenery, and she was so gracious. Here we were, complete strangers, and we introduced ourselves to her, and she greeted us and got her autographed, which somewhere I still have. I met her. I met Jill Trenery, Olympic world champion figure skater, but I don't know her. And if you were to track her down and say, do you know Tim Keller? I guarantee you her first response would be something along the lines of who? <laughs> no, we met and I will never forget the day that we met but I don't know her, and she certainly doesn't know me. J.I. Packer once wrote, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. I fear that today, in much of the mainstream Christianity that I have been exposed to, there is a great deal of knowledge about God. What concerns me is that increasingly I am detecting an absence of knowledge of God. We know all about him, but I'm not so sure that we know him. And so my question to you today would simply be this, do you know God? Oh, yes, uh, we've met. Do you know God? I know all about God. I read my Bible. I come to church. I listen to sermons. I participate in Bible studies. I know about God. Do you know God? The Hebrew word for this type of knowledge that we're talking about today is actually the word yada. And it means not just knowledge about someone, but an intimate knowledge where I know them at a level that goes beyond a handshake and an autograph. In the book of Genesis, when we are told that Adam knew his wife, that's the Hebrew word yada. And children were the result of their intimate relationship. That's the level of intimacy that the Bible speaks of when it talks about us knowing God. 
not just knowing about one another, but sharing a level of intimacy that is reserved for no one else. There's no one else in my life that I know in that way beyond my bride. Nobody gets to be in that position. It's reserved alone for her. And this relationship of intimacy with God that God wants us to have with him is reserved for him and him alone. If you go back to the book of Exodus, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the very first one was, I am distinct. I am the Lord your God. You worship no one else. Because God designed us to have that level of intimacy with him. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 7, at one point, Jesus said, And I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. What he's saying is not that we had never had exposure to him or that he couldn't pick us out of a lineup. What he's saying is that that relationship that we are banking everything on for all of eternity is more than just knowing who God is. It's knowing God. And what might be particularly alarming is the fact that the claim in that passage in Matthew 7, the claim when God says, depart from me, I never knew you, I never had that level of relationship with you, the claim is the person on the other end says, but wait, look at all of the spiritual activity that I engaged in. You see, when I don't have intimacy with God, when I don't really know God at a level that God wants to be known, the substitute, which is such a dangerous substitute, is often spiritual activity. Do you know God? I go to church. Do you know God? I read my Bible. Do you know God? I work hard for the church. Do you know God? I give my money to the church. Those are spiritual activities. And by the way, none of them are bad. But it's not what God's after. God is after us knowing him. And today in the Christian church, I wouldn't say that we lack for Bible studies, but we do lack prayer closets. We don't lack for sermons, but boy, we lack for wisdom. We don't lack for programs, but we are lacking for disciples. And I believe that there's a direct line of connection back to the fact that although we are ne- we've never been busier than we are today in the church, we've never had more activity than we have today, but we also don't seem to have the level of knowing God that we really need to have. Now, in the passage that was read for us just a moment ago, it's a familiar passage if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, and I won't give you a lot of background, but I just want to bring you up to speed on the context of that text. It is the story of the building of Solomon's temple, and Solomon has come in this passage to do the dedication. As we often do when we complete a building project, we dedicate it, and Solomon is there, and the presence of God comes in the form of the Ark of the Covenant, a two-by-two-by-four gold-covered box. And God said, my presence will dwell there. That is symbolic of my presence. And Solomon blesses the people. 
He tells them of God. And can I just stop and tell you, there is no greater honor that anyone can ever have than to stand in front of a group of people and to tell them of God. It is a privilege that I have never grown weary of. Being able to stand before you today and bring the word of God is a high honor, but it also comes with a high responsibility. When we don't know God, when the word of God is not being brought to us, we have a very dangerous tendency, and that is to create our own God. When I do not know the God of the Bible, don't panic. I just have a tendency to create my own God. And when I create my own God, he typically has two characteristics. One is he looks a lot like me. The God of the Bible approves of everything that I approve of and disapproves of everything that I disapprove of. He's kind of cool that way. I read recently someone said, anybody who drives faster than me is an idiot. And anybody who drives slower than me is a moron. The only people who are right are the people who drive exactly at the speed that I drive at. When we create our own God, Everybody who approves of what we approve of, I can have kinship with. Everybody who disapproves of the things that I disapprove of, I can have kinship. But the God that I create is always very much in alignment with me. He likes the things that I like. He feels passionately about the things that I feel passionately about. The other characteristic of the God that I create is he is completely understandable. When we create God in our own image, not the God of the Bible, but when we create our God, that God that we know requires no faith. He always makes sense to, to me. And anything that doesn't fit my own self-created God isn't worth knowing. In fact, I can get a little upset with the idea that God would ever do something that would cause me to have to trust him. I want it to be visible. I want it to be seen. Hebrews 11.6 says that God rewards those who seek after him. God rewards those who seek after him. Because to know the God of the Bible is to reject the God of my own creation and to say there is a God who is different than me that causes me to trust him. That can be a God that I can be very uncomfortable with. So here is Solomon standing in front of his people, and he's going to bless his people by doing this one thing. He's going to describe to them the characteristics of the one true God. Now, I wish I had the time to do more than I'm going to be able to do today, but I want to highlight just two of those characteristics today. Seriously, we could do a whole lot more. It's not that they're not there, and it's not that they're not worth studying, but for time, we're going to look at just two of the characteristics of this one true God. But at the end of the day, I want to ask you this question. Do I know that God? Am I comfortable with that God? If you open your Bibles to that passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, 
Please look at verse 4. Solomon said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God said that David's offspring would build a house for his name. He promised, and then he delivered. Do you know a God who delivers on his promises? Do you know that God? The God of the Bible promises something, and then he does it. Consistently, all the time, every time. He never fails to follow through on his promise. And when he goes with a promise, the test of whether he really is God or not is whether or not he follows through. If God makes a promise and one time fails to keep his promise, he ceases to be God because he can no longer be dependable. He can no longer be faithful. I can't trust a God who is only 99% faithful to keeping his promises. I wonder if the God that we claim to know keeps his promises. And the reason I ask that is I look around and I see a higher level of anxiety among Christians than I have ever seen in my lifetime. It is as if we have started struggling or never really believed that God is going to keep his promises. I don't see any other explanation because if we truly believe in this God, if we know this God who many could testify has never failed me, we love to sing, great is your faithfulness. But then we turn around and live in a manner that displays that I'm really not so sure whether he's going to do what he has promised to do. The God of the Bible has never had an anxious day in his life. Jesus has never been nervous about anything. There's never been a day when Jesus went, boy, I better do something about that. It's really starting to spin out of control, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus doesn't worry or fret about culture. Jesus doesn't worry about climate. He doesn't worry about elections. He doesn't worry about conspiracy. He doesn't worry about safety. He doesn't worry about economics. He doesn't even worry about whether Harry and Meghan went to the coronation. He really doesn't worry about that. There's really nothing that he ever worries about because all of his promises, Scripture says, are yes and amen. Do you know that, God? Because I am living with an impression that increasingly there are people who know a God who keeps his promises some of the time, but they're very nervous about the fact that he won't come through for them in their particular circumstances. I've had conversations with people before. This is what God says. This is what he has promised. And their response is very sincere, but very misguided. Yes, I know, but my circumstances are different. So the God of the Bible is going to come through all the time except in your circumstances. God does what he says he's going to do. You can count on it. It's in verse 10. 
It's in verses 15, 16, and 17. The theme runs through the passage. God is going to keep his promises. Verse 15, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. Verse 16, now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor. Verse 17, and now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. Solomon is standing in front of his people saying, you need to know this God intimately, a God who always keeps his promises. He will not let you down. He will not abandon you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. This is a dated illustration, so I tell you that right up front. And for some of you, you're going to find this hard to believe. If you're under 30, you might find this hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. When Sherry and I were first married, back in the mid-1980s, the NCAA basketball tournament was not always broadcast live. They would, they, would, they would play the games, and they would record them, and then they would show them late at night, 11.30. Well, we were big NCAA fans. We still are big NCAA fans. We followed the tournament pretty closely. So we would always find a way to figure out who won, who lost, and then we would watch the game. And I got to tell you, you watch a game like that completely differently than you do a game that's happening live. When I already know the outcome, I don't care if my team gets down by 10 or 15 or 20 points. When I know the outcome, I go, oh, well, I'm not going to be nervous about it because I know what's going to happen. I think that's how God wants us to live. I think he wants us to know him in such a way, at such a level, that rather than just hear stories about him, my relationship with him is built on my testimony of the times that he has consistently come through and done what he promised to do for me. That is the God of the Bible. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. What would it look like for you if starting today, you started living with that level of confidence in God, what if you knew him well enough that those weren't just stories that other people told, but that was your testimony? This is what I know. And therefore, I'm going to live life with lower blood pressure. I'm not going to be anxious every time a national election comes up that somehow it all hinges on that. I'm not going to fret when the economy tanks because I know that God's going to be faithful. And when calamity strikes and when something dreadful happens, God's going to keep his promises. That's what knowing God looks like. Not knowing about him, that's what knowing God looks like. Confidence that he will keep his promises Come what may. There's another characteristic of God that Solomon points out to his people, and that is this God reserves the right to make decisions. Solomon stood up in front of the people of Israel and said, I want you to know this. This is a God who keeps his promises, but then he goes on to say, God reserves the right to make the decisions. David had had it in his heart to build a temple for God. And initially, the prophet Nathan had sort of encouraged him. Yeah, go for it. But God made a decision. In 1 Chronicles 
God basically said to David, you've been a man of war. I don't want someone with bloody hands to be the one to build my temple. I'm going to have someone else do it. And God revoked David's building permit. But David was such a good guy. We tell stories about David. He wasn't a perfect king, but he was a good king. Reigned for a long time. Killed giants for crying out loud. It didn't make sense. God, here's your faithful servant. Why not cut him a break and let him do what's on his heart? It's it's what I want to do, David said to God. And God said, no. You see, the God that I create always agrees with me. The God that I create always makes sense to me. Knowing God at an intimate level is about increasingly living in the tension of not understanding him. I stand before you and say that I've been a follower of God for a long time, decades, came to know Jesus at a very early age. I do not completely understand his ways. He doesn't always make sense to me. And as he has not offered me a complaint or suggestion box, He continues to run the universe without my input at times. I live in the tension of not always understanding him. He reserves the right to make all the decisions. Sherry was at the district women's retreat a few weeks ago and heard the testimony of a pastor's wife who was the speaker. Her name was Heather Smith. I wasn't there, and I don't know the full context of what she said, but this one story so solidified this thought in my mind that I wanted to share it with you. Heather Smith said that there was a time in her life when she was with child, and her best friend was also with child, and at the very same time, they both entered into what appeared to be miscarriages. They ended up at the same hospital in adjacent rooms. They were basically at the same age. They were basically the same, uh, they were that far apart in their, their pregnancies. They were basically identical in every way. Heather Smith's friend, baby made it, and hers did not. And she said, I don't understand, God. I don't understand. We both love you. We both serve you. We're friends. We were both pretty much the same distance through our pregnancy. We're both in good health. All the, it just all seemed to be so identical. Why did you choose her baby to make it and for me to go through the horror of losing mine? God reserves the right. Will you be comfortable trusting in a God who doesn't always do what you want him to do? Are you comfortable with the tension of worshiping a God who sometimes calls you to tremendous deliverance and breakthrough and other times tremendous loss and heartache? The God of the Bible reserves the right. If we're going to know God, we need to know this God, the God who says, I will make the decisions and wants me to trust him. God raised Moses in a palace, but used him in a desert. God raised Joseph in the desert and used him in the palace. His ways are beyond knowing. He doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, that's the God that he calls us to know. For a number of years when we were in Bible college, Sherry and I would attend First Alliance Church and we would walk in on Sunday morning and sit behind Bill and Gracie Cutts. Bill and Gracie Cutts were Alliance International workers to Indonesia, to the Moni people for 38 years. Bill absolutely should have never, ever been an Alliance missionary. He was born with all sorts of physical deformities. He looked like a little hobbit. Couldn't stand upright. One of his arms didn't work. There was just no way on paper that you would have ever said, this man is going to make it as an Alliance missionary. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that maybe today he wouldn't make it. But God raised him up and for 38 years used him to change the lives of the people in Indonesia. Who does that? This God. And that's the God that we're invited to know. The psalmist said, as for God, his way is perfect. My challenge is that I want that control that God has for himself. I want to be in charge. I want, when I look at the evil in our society today, I want it to go away. I want to take steps to conquer it. God calls me to live with it. I want to be in control. My God's okay with me being uncomfortable. My God is okay with me feeling pain. Occasionally someone will say, well, my God would never do that. Well, you see, that's why you need to get to know the God of the Bible because your God always makes sense to you. In fact, your God often looks like you. My God would never allow me to suffer. So he would allow his son to suffer, but not you. Got it. Do you know God today? I am not asking if you're a Christian. I'm not asking if there was a point in time when you met God. I'm saying, is your testimony today that with each and every day walking headlong into the mystery of who he is, you are knowing him. There was once a community that held a contest, an oratorical contest. People from the community were invited to come in and put on their best oratorical skills. But they all had to do the same thing. They all had to recite the same lines in order for the judges to accurately assess their quality. And what they were asked to recite was the 23rd Psalm. Many came and registered because there was a very nice prize. But one of the favorites in the contest was a local actor who was particularly known for his skill at being on the stage and producing Shakespearean quality drama. He stepped out onto the stage into the limelight. And with the deep baritone voice that he carried, he recited the Lord's Prayer and he articulated each and every word. And when he was done and he walked off the stage, there was thunderous applause. He had nailed it. And everyone knew that he was going to take home the prize. There was only one person to follow and then the decision would be made. 
The final contestant that day was a local pastor, an older white-haired man, stoop-shouldered with a cardigan sweater, and he shuffled onto the platform that day. And he stood in front of the audience and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There was no oratorical skill. There was no flourish. There was no deep baritone voice. At times, it was difficult. People were leaning in even to hear him. But when he finished, there was stunned silence in the room. And he walked off stage. Someone standing in the wings next to the actor said, I'm I'm confused. What's going on? And the actor said, I know what's going on. I know the psalm. That man knows the shepherd. May it be said of us, not that we're the most brilliant or the most knowledgeable or the most busy. May it be said of us simply this, that we know God. I will never have him figured out. That was never his intention. But this I know. He intended something more for me and for you than knowing about him. He wants you to know him. Are you on that journey? I am not asking if you've arrived. Are you on that journey today? All of the Bible studies and sermons and Bible reading will never get you there unless you recognize where you want to go. Would you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, to know you is life itself. Forgive us if we have drifted into substituting that with knowing about you. Would you draw us to yourself? Because the world that we are living in today is it's going to overmatch us if all that we have is knowledge about you. What we need desperately is to know you and to live and love and serve and worship out of that experience of knowing you. There is no greater thing. Lord, help us to reject the idol of ourselves as God and instead commit to following you wholeheartedly. And for that, we'll give you praise. Amen.